Welcome to Surf Stories, the podcast brought to you by the Florida Surf Film Festival and Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation. I'm your host, John Brooks. With me, as always, is co-host Kevin Miller. What's up, Kev? Not much, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Our guest today comes from West Java. Um, Dion Hadiani is an author, and she's written this fantastic book called The Chronicles of G-Land. And it goes back all the way, I, I want to say it goes all the way back to like the 1500s, to like the Dutch occupation of Indonesia, carries it through to modern day. Um, it's very much a investigative, investigative journalistic type of book where she talks to everyone and uh, doesn't present her own opinion or bias, but uh, it tells the story about the development of eastern tip of java and the surf camps and mike boyum's arrival and the indonesian help that he had with pulling that off absolutely yeah it seems to me like the context of this surf spot is going to be a really interesting read unfortunately i won't have it for the boat but you know what one thing um i'm doing before i get on the boat is going to order that book the yeah. chronicles of g land by dion adiani yeah it's uh it looks like a fantastic read and i can't wait because especially for our generation. I mean, we basically grew up with the discovery of G-Land. You know, that happened at a very early age for us, and then it featured very heavily in every surf movie. They ended up having ASP contests there. Um, To this day, the the event where Kelly gets the two tens is arguably called the, the... best contest ever <laughs> right i mean what a what a surf spot and to know more about it you know besides the mike boyum sea of darkness uh sort of story around it it's it's going to be a, a great read i can't wait yeah the the western perspective is yeah. all we've ever gotten and exactly. here here's someone who grew up on java born and raised and gives us some of that context so yeah we're super excited and uh enjoy our chat with dion this chat with Dion Hadiani and um, when did you finish the book or when did you when did you start working on the book and and when did you finish it Uh, I started in 2018 and I published it uh, 2020 20 sorry 21 yes okay okay so it's been out for just a little bit Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And what uh, what prompted Sorry, you? 22. 22, I okay. Twenty-two. So it's just very recent. Yeah. Can, <laughs> can, can I introduce a few listeners to the surf location about which the book? Absolutely. As I, I, so on this podcast, Dion, I play the uh, novice to intermediate surfer who uh, might be listening to the podcast and has a couple questions about the technicalities of whether it be locations or anything like that. So, but um, John being the professional surfer can provide uh, insight and uh, all kinds of harrowing details from inside the green room, as we say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, but I wanted to introduce a, a spot about which you uh, wrote in this book and it's called G-Land and many people have heard of it. It's in Western, sorry, Eastern uh, Java, if I'm not, or is it uh, actually, yes. okay, East Eastern Java, Java. Mm-hmm. about 100, well, I don't know how many miles, how many miles is it from the island of Bali? Well, I don't count on miles, but sure. uh, <laughs> kilometers, it's just across the channel, I think, right? Yeah, it's, it depends how, uh, uh, from where you get into Gland, you can do overland and you can go by boat, by right. boat, you Basically, from where the surfer are, normally they stay in Kuta area. Mm-hmm. So they have to start in Kuta in Pantai German, and then they take a boat either from Bobby's camp or Joyo's camp. They, they have a, a boat there, and yeah, they get across, uh, come to the tip of Java exactly where you have to be there. To get off the yeah. disembark on Java, and then right, right there, you're at the camp, basically uh, of That's G-Land. right. Yes, in the in the it's called channel uh, channel boats, and then you will be transferred by smaller boats. Gotcha. And nice. this this came on my radar in the <laughs> late '80s. I want to say 
and uh, it was a surfer magazine feature article with big massive wall lefts that wrapped for miles not miles it seemed like miles in the thing but tom carroll was uh doing his thing and uh, i got to see uh as a goofy footer what life could be like if i pursued surfing <laughs> to the end ends of the earth as it were because oh, that's what it nice. seemed like yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's so, i just wanted to introduce uh anybody listening to this that didn't know what we talked about it in the intro but you know what g g land was and where it is and uh, kind of give them a geographical marker yeah that's and right. and before we we dive into the book too much um dion tell us a little bit about yourself you were born in uh bandung in which is in west java and mm-hmm. um yeah just uh if you if you don't mind give us give us a little quick bio on on uh where you came from and how you ended up where you are now yeah so yeah i was born and raised in bandung west java and um 1967 so when these servers already gone to gland i was just a little girl so but that little girl watch Hawaii Five O, <laughs> and I saw the barrel with the music's very interesting yeah. and that it imprint in my head and I just loved that barrel <clears throat> I think that that was my first love to waves when I was in Bandung on the television screen <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know I was <laughs> mysteriously attracted to that image as well how could you not be what an iconic image right Yes, plus the music, plus my mother said, because my father passed away when I was a baby, so I mm. did not, you know, I, I know uh, his photo, but somehow I was like, I want to feel him, I want to feel his skin, I want to see his movement, and at the time my mom did not have the video, of course, uh, in, in 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 Jaffa, although we, we lived in a small town, not in the village, so we are quite modern but as indonesian only certain people who actually have a video camera so i was really want to see my dad movement and one day uh, he told me hey i will wake you up when there's a movie there's a man it looks like your dad and that's a garrett something (laughs) oh yeah from the show (laughs) from the show yeah 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 my mom woke me up i think it was nine and 9 p.m. and then I saw that intro yeah and was fascinated by this wave and this character I think that is the beginning how I know surfing and uh, on the 80s I saw advertisement in in magazine like you know the serving product advertisement and always with the barrel and the server I thought this is so fancy. I mean, like really cool. <laughs> in, in Hawaii 5.0, oh, I did not see the, the surfer, only the barrel. But then in that advertisement with a man standing in the, you know, inside it, I think that is so crazy. I just love it. And I thought like, oh, one day I have to go to Hawaii to see it. I did not realize. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I was surrounded by best wave in the world, like one of the best wave in the world. Yeah. So, I was I was teenager and uh, you know but somehow I feel like my life will connect with this wave I, I I could feel it strongly and then when I went to and then I know in the 90s where we when we have result and June as, mm-hmm. as a champion so I was like oh wow yeah of course well uh, Indonesia is the archipelago we have good waves so at the nineties, then I know I don't have I don't need to go to Hawaii. Yeah, because we don't we are we don't have access to surf magazine or surfing. You know, the Indonesian don't really interested in surfing back then. Only now, right? But not in the city either. You know, only people where the surf is they are interested or they know. But at least now it's already known, like with the contest and everything. But back then, the people who live in the city they have no clue there is a surfing spot in Indonesia so I think that was the beginning when I came to Chimaja I saw the local people carry the surfboard because I remember when I went to 
to Chimaja as a child, I think 10 years old, that was nothing in that village. It was nothing. I think that was maybe 77. Okay. And which, then, which village was that, Dion? I I went to Chimaja. Okay. <clears throat> and is that mm-hmm. the same? Uh, I think I've said it in the past incorrectly. Is that Garajigan? That, like, or Jimajan is the same thing as G-Land, right? No. Oh, okay. No. Different. Okay. is West Java. <clears throat> so Jimaja is, is, is West Java and okay. Garajagan is Java. So it's like from the different age of Java. Beautiful. Gotcha. So, yeah, but south uh, south coast where they serve uh, Indian Ocean. And so I, in 2000, I saw children with... Uh, surfboard and i thought to my i, I said to my my friend like why these uh, local people carrying surfboard like local children is so cute mm-hmm. and my friend said dian there's a surf uh spot here and i thought oh my god i came here as a child there was nothing there was completely nothing and uh, except the salty fish people make salty fish right the for economy and then now there were fila and whatever so i thought Wow, surfing is actually give contribution economically to the local people. So I went to Bali to do research on it, and I just stayed in Bali. No kidding. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't and blame so that's how I, I really fascinated by surfing. It's, it's my curiosity about that sport since the very beginning, yeah. I feel nice. the same way. Like uh, when I caught images of surfing as a child, I was entranced by the idea of riding waves and it obviously developed into a bit of an addiction. Um, you know, so I, I totally can, can see where you're coming from and, and, but you were an extreme example of that. Just, you know, like grasping for any kind of imagery or media or anything. And when you find <laughs> it, it's like, Holy grail. Yeah. There was like, wow, it's really something, you know, and then see people in it. Like, that is really something. And I tried, of course, I want to write about serving and I try to serve not on the barrel, on the whitewash. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> That's where we all start. Trust me. Yeah. That's where we all start. And it's, it's gotta be, um, it's gotta be so fascinating for you. Um, it, given the time that you were born and seeing really the, the birth of surfing in Indonesia. And, and as you mentioned, Rizal was, is probably the first like famous surfer from Indonesia. And then just this last year, Indonesia had its first surfer on the world tour, Rio Waida. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's gotta be, uh, fascinating for you to have seen that, that, uh, birth take place over the last 40, 50 years. That's right. That's right. And not to mention another Indonesian server that's really good, but they don't compete, you know, there, there are many. Yeah, many. absolutely. We've run into them in the water. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's service. funny. I always imagined that, um, cause there are like Dede Saranya and, um, I'm trying to think of some other guys, but there, there are guys who have gone more the route of being like a, a free surfer where they don't travel and compete at the competitions. Um, they just get sponsorship by staying local around Indonesia and surfing these beautiful waves. And I think Hawaii kind of deals with the same thing. Like the, the local people, it probably would be hard to say like, Hey, we want you to leave paradise where the greatest waves are and go travel to, you know, these cold places where the waves aren't that good. That would be hard. So yeah, my hat's off to Rio. I mean, I read an article about him the other day. He was saying that he'd been living on the road for like 10 months without going back to Indonesia. Um, wow. So that that would be tough, I'm sure. He probably misses the food as well. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the surfing bug bit you pretty, pretty hard. So did you uh, develop the same love for writing during those early years? And uh, how did your relationship with, with uh, writing uh, you know, germinate? How did that take place? Yes. So uh, I think uh, in my family, lots of artists mm. and um, we, uh, some wrote a uh, song and many, many kind of art. So I think artistic is already in my blood. I think it when I was, um, it's also about my father. 
I think I was 10 when my teacher said that please write your name like Dian Hadiani but you go like that instead of uh yeah. you have to do vertical and D for what sentence you should mention D I for and I made it and it was like about my dad mm-hmm. and it really touched my teacher and so my teacher knows my mom and so she told my mom like hey your daughter wrote really nice piece and about her father and she gave it to her and she kept it and she she showed me and then at, at the time i did not realize how it was just come from my heart you know that sure. writing and it turned out like wow people appreciate what i wrote i think that was the beginning uh i think i i i love um to write so i keep writing about random you know random thing and uh, i think when i was when i was 20 then early 20s then i work in the marketing field where i have to um write about something and if i write about something i need to do research before i write something right so i think i really get used to do research and i wrote a lot of advertorial which advertising editorial I don't mention my name in advertorial because they pay me. Right. Sure. I love to, they, I love to write uh, advertorial because it's big money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> so I, I, I don't care about my name, you know, it's just right. like as long as they pay money on what I wrote. So I think, yeah. So since the middle 20s, I started to professionally writing also <clears throat> as a contributor, uh, journalist on view media. Yeah. Great. Did you, uh, develop your English early or how did you, um, how did you become so fluent in English? Oh, thank you. Well, when people ask me that, I would say, well, that's thank you to Karen Carpenters. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Oh, such good music. I love those tunes. I know. I know. So I was like, I listen to the music because my family listen to the, you know, uh, American music. I have lots of sisters, like way older than me, and they listen to uh, American music. So I always like listen and I go like that. And I would like I was not able to read or write at that time. I think I was six something. And but I remember Karen her pronunciation is so good, mm-hmm. like, and the song is so peaceful. And sometimes I I listen like only, and I would say to oh, only only yesterday, and I would ask my my sisters like, hey, what's the only means? What's yesterday means? So my sister always always told me what is it, and I memorize it. And then 1977, I remember I was ten then. And I was able to read and write. And my sister had a dictionary from her boyfriend, like a birthday gift, like thick John McEachel's uh, dictionary. Sure. And so he gave it to her. And then when I asked her, he was, he was like, girl, now you can read. <laughs> read this. I was like, wow, this is so cool. So I was just like, I mean, she didn't even let me know how to to read this dictionary. Uh, what I did is just like, okay, I opened the dictionary, for example, like I would like to know the pronunciation because in the in the dictionary, there's the letter that I don't understand, right? Yeah. So I would listen to something and I opened this. I was like, oh, this pronounce is, I think that's the beginning of my uh, self-taught English. Wow. And then... Yeah, in the middle school day when I was thirteen, then um, teacher, I mean in Indonesia then, not now, not uh, now is they already taught uh, uh, teach English since the very early beginning. Okay. So, uh, but then I was thirteen when the English start to be taught at at school. I learned and I always like very easy to get. I think so. I love English. Yes, <laughs> that's great. 
Did, did you publish a version of your book in Bahasa? No, okay. I right away wrote in English. I think yeah. because of uh, easier, I don't want to write in Bahasa and translate, you know. Sure. <laughs> right. Well, I just, uh, I'm impressed. That's an incredible feat that, you know, my Spanish is limited to about a hundred words and it involves beer and directions and bathrooms. <laughs> so, yeah. And my Bahasa is limited to Salamat Pagi and on the Bagus. Yeah. So. There you go. That's about me. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. What a, I mean, self-starting DIY, DIY meaning do it yourself. And you know, the, the, uh, attitude you took toward your education and you got all the way to writing copy. Were you writing copy in English or mostly Bahasa for these advertising uh, agencies? Uh, mostly in Bahasa because uh, Indonesian magazine and in sure. Indonesian advertisement, yes. <clears throat> right. And then, that, sorry, go ahead. I, sorry. I wrote a children's book in English. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's, you have, it's a series of children's books, correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Tell, tell us a I'm little like, bit about that. So I actually was tired of, um, well, I, I also was a contributor writer to English, uh, magazine in English. But that time I was too tired. I was a consultant of marketing uh, management because my education as um, first education, I took degree on the culinary arts. Therefore, mm. I love to cook because my mom is a good cook. Mm. And then I I took another education marketing. And so I become my whole career is always been in the marketing field. Mm. So in the 20s and when I was reached 40, I become an, a consultant for some company, how to do marketing strategy marketing communication especially and part of marketing communication is make an event because that event is communicating right and also advertorial something like that so i was like having a restaurant at the time i was a contributor writer i wrote and then i was like too tired yeah and and i said well i said god i will i want to stop writing for magazine or you know like what should I do? Sometimes, you know, I talk to God yeah. <laughs> and I, I feel like God said, like, well, I give you skill to, to do drawing and writing. Go, you have really beautiful childhood. Just wrote about it. And I'm like, right after the prayer, I have six title already, like, boom, it's like opening. But I, I decided to make uh, five books only because the the other one is too long and i want certain pages you know like not too long sure. it's yeah. only like maybe 28 pages like 15 of writing short sentences and then the other page is my illustration sure so i think that's the beginning of uh i was like okay but uh, I, I know as a writer, so, so many, well, I would say there are many writers, but there are many only writers not becoming the author because they were not able to publish the book because the publisher is, is hard, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. So I decided to, I'm going to make my own publishing company, you know, where I just make take control of everything. So I made a, my publishing company, which... The Chronicles of Gilan is a self-published. <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing! Yeah. I lo- I love the attitude of like publishing's hard, so I'm just gonna start a company and do it myself. That's, like that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> what I was talking about. Yeah. And so, what prompted you to write the book about uh, Gilan? Yeah. So actually, since I moved to Bali, I moved to Bali because of surfing, right? <clears throat> because I love to see, I'm like, hey, finally, I'm in a, one of the best waves in the world. So, and I love Bali, of course, compared to Jakarta, because I was living in Jakarta back then. Okay. And so I moved to Bali, something very different from Jakarta and Bali, obviously. Sure. Well, the sky is, is blue in, in Bali, in Jakarta is gray. <laughs> <laughs> So maybe people in Jakarta they don't know that, that the sky is blue. Just yeah. kidding. 
Well, no, yeah, but the I suppose that the uh, cultural differences are are uh, starkly different, especially maybe as it relates to uh, women in the roles. I know Indonesia is a moderate Muslim country uh, for the most part, but then Bali is all Hindu for the most part, right? Yes, that's right. But uh, well, Indonesia is very unique. We respect because we um, our country adapt five religion uh allow so we 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 live in very in in harmony so it doesn't matter you live in the mostly muslim area or mostly hindu we have no problem because we we always want to respect each other and we have this slogan like when we united we are stronger right and it's in in my book in the chronicles of jilan indonesia is actually come from Indos and Nassos. So Indos is India, which means Indian Ocean. Nassos means island. So Indos Nassos is the islands on this Indian Ocean. Hmm. The islands of Indian Ocean. But then the youth uh, declare, okay, let's make it Indos Nassos or Indonesia. And that was in the 1928 where the Indonesia was not formed, of course, but this uh, the youth. The there was um, <clears throat> Dutch Indies. Indonesia was called Dutch Indies, East Dutch Indies, because the Dutch was um, occupied Indonesia. So they call it Young Java, Young Sumatra, Young mean youth. So because there they were educated, so they gather. They gather together. They declare, "Hey, we are, we are from the same island, from the same you know place, different island. Let's make uh, Indonesia. We will have the same language because Indonesia is very rich with language. Like, I'm from West Java. If I go to East Java or Central Java, the language is different. We are same Java. Wow, wow. And because my ethnicity is Sunda." So I'm speak Sundanese and uh, Central Java, different Java, Javanese from the East Java. And then I come to Bali, there's the Balinese. And so when I have limited Balinese language as well, because um, <clears throat> so it's different, different languages. So they gather together, become, they make a one language, Bahasa Indonesia. I think that's the beginning of Indonesia, and that's mentioned in in my book, The Chronicles of Jilan. So basically, The Chronicles of Jilan is not about serving only, but oh, yeah. a lot of. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what I'd be looking for if I were gonna, and I am gonna read your book. Um, I also want to travel to Jilan at some point. I was on the verge of going, and well, you know, family and all that kind of gets in the way sometimes. Those. Um, those tough life decisions that you have to make, but it is on, uh, I'm sure John's bucket list as well as a goofy footer. Um, but I love when I read something that has this surfing, uh, character in it, but also has all of this contextual, uh, you know, what I call real life, um, you know, narrative and text around it. So that's what I'm, I'm looking forward to when I read the book. Yes, thank you. Yeah, a lot of lot of um, Indonesian story in it because mostly the story of Jilan or the history of Jilan written by the Western and by the Western in the Western perspective, of course, there is no Indonesian in it. Right, <laughs> of course. We kind of like forgotten, but hey, don't forget, we actually know the history of Jilan. I mean, they're part of it. So I interviewed people who are involved in the development of the surf cam. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. 
It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. That's great. Yeah, that's what I can't wait to read about because, like I said, you know, grow, I grew up in Florida and then I lived in California for 10 years and I traveled. I was very fortunate. I got to travel all over surfing. Um, and the version that I always heard, oh, you know, we always heard about Mike Boyum and we always heard about, you know, Jerry Lopez and Jeff Hackman and those guys. And they, you know, they got all the credit for discovering the wave and, and building the camp and everything. And, and for me, like I'll admit in my mind, the image was they showed up to this remote jungle and there wasn't even any other humans there. And so, and then they did this all on their own. And so I, I can't wait to read the book and, and find out and, and, and learn about the fact that there, there was local Indonesian folks there that were probably so key and instrumental in the development of the camp and the survival of those guys on that island. Yeah. Well, the, the first question for me why I involve Indonesian is not because I'm Indonesian. <clears throat> but actually, I think whoever journalists or, or people who write something for the media, they should ask the question that I had. So, well, they know that uh, Gilan is located in the preserve area and right. they know my poem is American. So <clears throat> it's not because I'm Indonesian, but this is like common sense, right? Right. So my first question was like this, like how on earth an American was granted a permit yes. to build in the preserve area, to build a tourism, you know, like he must have, Indonesian power who gave him that permit, but who are they? So I start to make uh, that question. And then how do Mike Boyum, how did Mike Boyum get the water? Because water is very essential for human. Sure. Like how did he get it? Like how did he build? He he must need uh, Indonesian local people to build the camp. Mm -hmm. So I, I need to find him, you know, like I need to find them. So that's, that's my that's the common sense they're supposed to have any from you know people who write about Gilan because that is a common sense right right the they know as um Gilan is in the preserve area but but the western side always like who discovered Gilan who served Gilan first I mean I'm sorry but that is too shallow yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and for, uh, for any of our listeners that aren't familiar, and Kevin and I have been fortunate enough to go to Indonesia, um, but like when you say preserve, it would be like here in America, we'd call it like a national park, and it's like protected yeah. by the government. And then so, yeah, if if, uh, if you can imagine like, uh, you know, rocking up to a national park and being like, yeah, I'm going to build something here. like <laughs> you'd, Let you'd, alone being a person from a foreign country. Yeah. Just yeah, saying, I'm going to build something it, on your national park. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, that's exactly. So this is a common sense, right? It's not that I'm Indonesian. I'm questioning that. But sure. I think or maybe I'm not a surfer because I'm out of the surfer bubble. <laughs> well, no, I think that's common sense. And, and your next logical question would be, um, you know, which, uh, you know, who was Mike Boyum paying off maybe? Or, you know, uh, who is he involving in that whole process of, because that's, let's see, I don't want to spoil the, the book. Let's keep that for the book. But like, you know, I'm interested in that story as a, a massive 
plot twist to see how he pulled it off. That's right. I'm, uh, I I talk with the guy who always uh, almost 100 years old that actually finally gave Mike Boyum green light. Wow. You know, wow. he was under overrun by the entity, like a personnel of that entity. Like, hey, you basically fake, a, I would say, a magic letter. Sure. So this guy who is um, now 100 years old, he was against this development, of course. He was uh, confronted Mike Boyum. And, but Mike Boyum was so cunning and charming, you know, charismatic. And Surfers. he did a lot yeah. of things. Yeah, a lot of things, you know, for Indonesia, like uh, surf contests, whatever. So he gained trust from Indonesian government in, in Bali. Mm. But in Java, he was confronted by by this national park. The first national park officer, I interviewed him. Wow. So finally, they make a like fake letter, a letter to him. So basically, oh, I'll make a training, you know, place to train the Indonesian server. <clears throat> Sorry, server how Indonesian people how to surf, and then mm. they can be compete international well you know it's hard to make a decision to be to give a permit in such a old jungle because alas purwa means the first jungle <clears throat> in java you know and it's protected since um the early 30 so it's not easy so <clears throat> but this magic letter it's it's give like how charming mike boyum must be yeah. That really can did that, you know, and Mike Boyum, in fact, he was the first person who bring tourism to this. Now the tourism, the whole coastline of that tip of East Java is becoming the tourist attraction. But the first, of course, the surf camp is the first tourism that brought into that area, you know, so... <clears throat> I think that's uh, important to also interview people who who were uh, helping my boyum, and I did that. So a lot of Indonesian authority who give green light or the game how yeah. they how they played it, and also who who betrayed them is very interesting. You know, like um, as an investigative journalist, I. I mentioned, you know, I, I listen, but then I also confront them with the fact like, hey, this is not what I heard, but that is what I, this is what I heard. And I have the evidence, like, what would you say about it? And then there was like, yeah, but then every time he make a statement, it's contradict to his another, uh, because he lied, you know, when you right. lied, you and I was like, this is the evidence. This is not what I heard. This is what I discovered. And like, but you say this and I was like, oh, it's so interesting. Like I say to myself, like, because in my book, I don't make any opinion because otherwise, if I make any opinion, then it's not journalism. I'll be sure. biased. Sure. So I can make an opinion. Basically, the Chronicles of Gilan is just I interviewed many people, not only servers, and then uh, verify the story, <clears throat> try to find an evidence. And then I present it in the book. So many people with the different story also, like especially the claim who's the first, also in the book, everybody. Yeah. So, but I told them I cannot be biased. I will listen to everybody's story and verify the story and and find the evidence. Basically, the Chronicles of Jilan is just like that. Recollection, storytelling of how uh, this history from many different people I gathered together with without opinion without biased and i present it and and really stone turning uh book that changed the history of gland that's amazing yeah and so one of the things i'm because even even from my western perspective and being heavily involved in the surf industry and hearing you know like i said our the the story that we always got was you know mike boyum uh you know hackman lopez those guys um, they went over, they, uh, they discovered it, they built this camp, you know, they get all the credit, but, but even in, in surf culture, it's pretty widely known or suspected 
that there was some foul play there, that there was some bribes and, and, you know, I don't think anybody was, um, you know, thinking that Mike Boyum was a total boy scout and that he was, everything was on the up and up. And so the thing I always wondered about is as that got discovered, um, why didn't the permission get revoked by the Indonesian government? Like, you know, that, that's something I'm curious about. And I don't know if you cover that in the book. I'll be interested to yes, see. It is. It is. I would it, imagine. It, it is complete. <clears throat> complete. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's fascinating. I can't yeah. wait to read it. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's going to be amazing. Let's do a quick uh, pause and, and tell everybody how they can find the book. So uh, first of all, you can go from the, okay, I, I sent to 16 countries already. Nice. And it, since I published seven months, I reached 11 countries because I sent from my, uh, I sell from my website. And then in one year, I sent to 16 countries. Great. So people, but now for Australia and California, uh, in in Australia, they can find in uh, Gold Coast the um, Surf World Gold Coast. They're selling my book. Also, I have a official distributor, but they can uh, they can reach to G the email Glen uh, Glen at himsgroup.com.au. and then in California is available in California Surf Museum. Okay. But nice. in for the rest of the nation, they can just go directly to my website, grajagunchronicles.com uh, slash the book. So you can buy the, buy the book. Yeah. Wonderful. That's great. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll be selling some books for sure. And uh, if you ever make it to Florida or on the East Coast, you should come visit and uh, we'll, we'll set up a book signing and uh, a fun night okay. for you at some point. Wonderful. Thank you. So uh, a couple of days ago, I went to the Indonesian consulate in Los Angeles and I uh, present my book. No I said, way. hey, uh, well, I explained who I am. I explained my book goes. There was like, I did not know. I said, yeah, not Indonesia. No, but in Australia, everywhere people know. So they embraced me. They promised to bring me back here and make book events. So I was like, you have to send me to Florida and New York. Yeah, Absolutely. definitely. Definitely. That'd be great. We, we have a good friend in New York uh, named Tyler Brewer, and he also has a podcast um, that's all about like the history of surfing. Um, hard, it's called Hardcore Surf History. And um, yeah, he, oh, he, he'd be fascinated to meet you and talk to you. And, and he could definitely help you facilitate like some book, book signings and, and a little events there in New York as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, that would be great. So, but, you know, I don't credit my book to myself. You know, of course, I credit first to God because he's the one who gave me this open door and just lead me to this journey. But also I credit for all people who involved in my book uh, through their stories, you know, the surfers, the Indonesian people. So basically what I do in my book is just listening to them and put the puzzle together, find the evidence and write about it. So it's not only me. I credit everybody who involved in this book and I really so grateful. That's great. I just to thank them. Yeah. How, how about, uh, how about that? Who is your favorite person or persons to interview during that process that you, uh, really felt like you, um, learned a lot from? Well, it's Timothy Watts, obviously, or Tim Watts, because he's been living in Indonesia for, I don't know, like since 76. Okay. He said he, don't, he doesn't want to leave Indonesia. So mm. when I interviewed him, I go interviewed back and forth. And he was like, I said, can I come back to you? And I, I showed him the map like, hey, Tim, when you said you get across the river, from what point, which river? And he was like, point at the map like this river because i studied the area right i studied the area i studied the photo i said well when you cross from this point you must cross two rivers he was like no i cross one river uh, only one river well it's not from here one river because you see this is two rivers like hmm. <laughs> and that you must you must uh, across from this 
point and then you goes across this and then you will find the cornfield you will find this i was like dian how did you know (laughs) (laughs) well because i'm 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 researching not only from the server, but also from the people, the local people, where it was it? And was like, that is correct. And then he was like, and, you know, I I actually dropped everything. This is self-fund book. Sure. I sold my car. I moved to, I had, I have land instead of buy a land. I buy, I bought land. Uh, sorry. Instead of bought a house long time ago when I moved to Bali, I bought land. So I, I always renting houses so because of this book i rent a small apartment from renting a house to small apartment and i sold my car because when i discovered something that really uh, really different from what the legendary tells is i'm like i cannot stop (laughs) what are you doing i said trust me i'm doing this like you you moved and then because I, I live by myself, my children grown up, like you moved to a small place and you sold your car for this book. I said, yes. Yeah. That sounds like <laughs> a, a true investigative journalist. Absolutely. That's yes. right. That's right. And then because of course, to print is so enormous the amount of money. And I thought like, okay, I talked to Dikul and Dikul said, Dion, why don't you talk with, you know, this guy? And I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. So Diko has been very supportive. And so I talked to Tim Watch, the guy that I always like, hey, Dick, uh, sorry, hi, Tim. And Tim, I, I sent him first eight chapters of my draft, you know, of sure. my script. And he read it. He said, this is crazy, Dion. He said, I know you've been pushy interview. Like, you know, you gave me, <laughs> but I never expect this result he said you know and so i said well yes i think this is the time for you to invest he said i don't want your money i want you to make money he said who who does this who spent the whole four years to do this who spent his the own money to do this like none and you did it so i'm putting your money don't think about when you return the money and I don't want your money. <laughs> wow. That's... I want you to make money. You deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Watts is such a good patron. So yeah. And I'm able to, to do it. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, we'll hopefully sell some books for you and what a wonderful story. I can't yeah. wait to, d- to dig in. It's, uh, you know, and didn't, Job has answered a NIAS, you know, and, and the, uh, you know, the best wave in Indonesia going left, uh, arguably. And, uh, well, it can hold size. It, it's just, it's been the uh, location for WSL or ASP events. And, you know, it's, it's certainly always been on our radar. So thank you for chronicling how that came to be. And uh, we'll, we'll dig in soon. Absolutely. And but now I want to I want to hear your story about how you started surfing. Oh, my God, that that would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was because um, I, I do. I'll just preface it by saying because um, when you look at the map, Ben, where you were born and raised, Bandung is not uh, close to no. the coast. It's in the middle of the I'm island. Inland, yes. Inland, yeah. Yes, and so I just inland. yeah, I just want to I just want to s- see how you ended up getting to the beach and, and starting to right. surf yourself. Yeah. So after the Chimaja trip, you know, the West Java Chimaja, when I saw the local people carry the surfboard, yeah. I thought I'm going to investigate surfing because surfing obviously give contribution to the local economy. Because like when I was in Chimaja t- I, as a 10 years old girl, and when I was in the middle 30, so different, sure. like 20 years apart, right? 20 years 25 years apart you know and that was like different so i need to to check to bali so i went to buy uh, to bali just to to investigate it and and since i have to investigate i need to surf so i took surf lesson oh my goodness the board is so long <laughs> i could not carry by myself so it's the i have to be someone like the the you know the trainer whatever instructor 
the instructor to carry the board with me is super long and then like they did he told me how if I wipe up I need to do like this and <laughs> it was fun but when I stood up I think I stood up right away <clears throat> I stood up right away it was kind of like magic although in a whitewash yeah so <laughs> it was like magic and I promised myself I'm going to bring my children here to surf and so yeah and I moved and my children served then but now they don't serve anymore <laughs> <laughs> and where where was, what beach was it where you took that surf lesson was it at Kuta yeah halfway yeah. Kuta because it was like uh, good I was like the first time I was like you see when you were laid down on the board and you see the swell coming it was like my heart is like that pounding but of course I can swim but in the ocean is different sure you know it's not about demon because i don't believe in demon in in the ocean but it was just like of course like a bit intimidating but the instructor gave me confidence like don't worry don't worry you know it's not you know so i said of course yeah people serve and this is not barrel that i saw as a child but this is just a little swell so yeah, it was like when I stood up, I rode the wave. It was so magic, and I served for I think two years, and then I stopped because I got an accident, and I'm like, oh no, I got the surf accident in in Byron Bay. Mm. It's hard for me to you know to hold my body to stand up. I'm like, okay, not for me. Mm. <laughs> I still love surfing, <laughs> but yeah. I'm not a surfer. Yeah, yeah. We've had uh, career-ending injury challenges almost. On I know uh, every surfer fights that as as we get older. But the uh, the story and the magic of of standing up for that first time, everybody who's been there knows it. It's, it's, so, it's so cool too because it doesn't matter what age you are. Like I I was yes. very fortunate for me. I was only five years old when I oh. caught my first wave and. Uh, so, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Like I, I've taught surf lessons over the years and, and helped teach people how to surf. And yeah, yeah you see like little, little kids to, I've taught people that were in their mid to late seventies catching a no. wave for the wow. fir very first time catching a wave in their seventies. That was not late then. And no, no, no. It's, I always tell people it's never too late. It's never too late. Cause right. it, it is, it's that, it's that magical feeling when you, when you stand up and you yeah. get propelled by a wave. Um, there's really just nothing like it. Um, yeah. so yeah, it's pretty fascinating. And I do know that, um, in the past there was, that was a big part of Indonesian culture was, um, actually being afraid of the ocean and believing that there was demons in the ocean and things like that. Is that still, is that still prevalent in this day and age or has it? Yeah. Yeah. We, some people still, uh, believe in this queen of the ocean It's called Nyai Rorokidu is the queen of south ocean mm -hmm. not the queen of ocean but south ocean okay uh, in bahasa we call it ratu pantai selatan which means the queen of the southern ocean okay so people called her nyai rorokidu so in some place uh in the hotel in the southern of southern of java there are room dedicated for her so people still believe in her you know, wow. like, yeah, it's a thing. The myth's still alive. So that, that just makes it all the more amazing for Indonesians that learn how to surf and go into the ocean and, and for, yeah. for folks like Rizal and for Rio, like for them yeah. to actually turn it into a career. Um, cause that would be hard, you know, fighting that cultural pressure. Um, yeah, well, but, but we also have the song like, uh, Nenek Moyangku Seorang Pelaut, which mean, our ancestor is actually sailor, which is true because we are Austronesian. We're not sure. originally from that island. So right. We become Austronesian, you know, the from, uh, you know, the, the Philippines, uh, Taiwan, Philippines, all the way to Indonesia. So then we are becoming, staying there for a thousand years ago. So basically we, and people already fish sailing but maybe sailing is in the boat with another vessel and serving is just a little vessel. Maybe that's the difference. I see. But yeah, yeah but basically Indonesian 
has a song that said, we are not afraid of the ocean because our ancestor is also the conqueror of the ocean. Ah, I, see. I see. I remember yeah. watching a, an old surf movie from the 80s and does the phrase Basilan car mean anything to you? The what? Basilan car, water dancers or those who dance on the water. I think there were, anyway, I, it was a phrase oh, that maybe, I... Yeah, maybe different uh, ethnics. Okay. Because like... If you studied Indonesia, it would be so many things. I would imagine <laughs> there's sure. a lot of dialects. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, very good. I, I just thanks again for agreeing to take time out of your day and uh, l- let us learn more about your book. And we'll uh, we'll certainly be uh, buying one shortly. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, uh, Kevin and John. It's really fun it's and successful. Yeah, Dion, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, to just chat more about uh, an area that um, we've been to, like Kevin and I have both been fortunate enough to go to Indonesia, but we've always gone into Jakarta and then up through Sumatra and out to the Mentawai Islands um, and never, never been down to like the eastern side of Java or anything, but um, it's definitely on my radar. One of my good friends actually just went to G-Land for the first time about six weeks ago and He's an avid surfer, uh, Jason Prescott. He's lived in Australia a little bit, but he's he's an avid surfer. He's a very accomplished surfer, and he was just like, it's the best wave I've ever seen. He's like, I caught the best wave of my life at G-Land, wow. and he just couldn't say enough things. Yes. And yes. He, He's lived sure. in Australia. He's surfed a lot of good waves, and so, um, yeah, it just, it just reinforced the fact that I, I want to go there at some point. So, but maybe, I, believe, I believe that, yes. Maybe a quick stop in Bali to, to visit you. And, yeah, uh, yeah, and, for sure. We're yeah. looking forward to it. And I would say to you, harus ke Jilan dan harus ke Cimaja, which means you must go to Jilan and you must go to Cimaja. And when you go to Jilan, when the some waves, perhaps some waves flat, you have to visit all the historical Indonesian ancient sites oh, yeah. uh, written in my book. So since people now read my book, they came more often, the surfer come to the sites where I mentioned in my book is um, the ruin of the last kingdom of uh, Majapahit Sriwijaya mm. it's in the jungle that's that wonderful cool. oh yeah can't wait yeah awesome well thanks again Dion and um, enjoy your little quick break there in Las Vegas and mm-hmm. um, thanks so much for chatting with us and uh, we'll be in touch thanks yeah a lot, Dion. the pleasure is is mine thank you for having me all right. You got it. Take care. Have a good okay. day. Bye. All right, you bye-bye. too. Bye. Oh, what a fantastic chat with Dion, huh, Kev? Yeah, that was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed meeting her and uh, hearing about her hard work. My favorite stories in movies um, and, and books, but my favorite stories in movies especially, are investigative journalist stories. I feel like they're easily translatable to the screen. Um, maybe not easily, but like All the President's Men. Yeah. Um, the the one about Jeremy, when Jeremy Renner is uh, investigating this uh, um, crack cocaine uh, pandemic in the United States, and he gets, uh, well, let's just say he commits suicide with two bullets. Yeah. Right, so... <laughs> The, uh, the story that they uncovered in that movie, I can't remember the name of it, it was so good. But I'm just huge, a huge fan of investigative journalism, and it sounds like she's done the, uh, you know, the hard yards. Yeah, and just so cool to see her excitement about surfing. Um, and just clearly she fell in love with it from a very early age, just seeing the visual, uh, like she said, in the Hawaii Five-0 opening, um, and then, you know, realizing that, oh, wow, you can actually ride those things and... Absolutely. There's a TV series in there there too, right? I mean, this whole oh yeah from the beginning and 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 Mike doing his thing at oh my god, I, I my my head is spinning right now. The so. thing I can't wait because this is something I've wondered about often is what was Mike Boyum's interaction with the Indonesian government with the locals and she she covers that in the book, so I can't wait to read it. Yeah, no, no spoilers for sure. So uh, let's thank some sponsors and uh, you know uh, we got. Surfing's Evolution and Preservation Foundation came on board uh, again.
2024. So we're excited to know that. Absolutely. Uh, so next time you renew your license plate, get that endless summer license plate. All the proceeds go to them and then they distribute it to different organizations that are either preserving surfing's culture or working to promote surfing's evolution into the future. 100%. So we appreciate what they do. We've got Monster Energy, our presenting sponsor, along with all of our other sponsors, uh, Glow Brand Footwear, their shoes for your feet. That's right. They go on your feet. Yeah. Rourke Apparel, Sunbum. Josh, the lawyer, dude. The, the list is on our website. If you guys want to know who to support in town, absolutely, feel free. Go check them out. Uh, Dr. Matt Smith, chiropractor in Port Orange at Natural Healing. Um, Red Dog Surf Shop. Kevin Flaunt over there at Flaunt Bicycles. Or not Kevin Flaunt, but you know what I mean. Kevin Mount. There we go. Thank yeah. you. I love Kevin Mount. Magnolia Acres. Yeah. There's a long list of folks that just have dedicated their uh, resources to making this shirt, this thing is a success. So come on, come on out to our next festival. It's going to be either November 10th and 11th. Uh, you could subscribe and support this podcast at surfsplendor.com. Um, there's ways to sign up and become supporters on that site and at a subscription level of $5 a month. If you want to be at a little bit higher and uh, just feel good at the end of the month, it's 10. So not nice. a lot to uh, support what we do here on the microphone. If you like it, please do. And uh, anything else? Cheers. And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.